Awesome. We had a great show today uh, here with Ryan Murdoch. That was uh, a good got, show. Yeah, wait, he's got, wait, wait, we got to stop this thing. You got to start with welcome to the, or this is the Bigger Pockets podcast show, whatever. Scott Trench, you ruined it. <laughs> this is the Bigger Pockets podcast show 234. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. What's going on, everybody? This is Scott Trench, your guest host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, here with my main host, Brandon Turner. <laughs> How's it going, Scott Trench? Welcome to the uh, BP podcast again. Ah, it's great to be here. Things are going well for me. People seem to be enjoying the book that we released a couple months ago, Set for Life. And yep. uh, I'm currently working to expand my real estate portfolio here. I'm under contract for a, a new fourplex here in Denver. Dude, so. you're on fire. This has been a, this has been a hot spring slash summer for you, yeah. has it not? Well I think done. I think it's just about summer. I think it was Is like it? today or yesterday or next it, week or this. I don't know. I don't pay attention to details like that in life. Well, it's definitely summer when the show is released. So. Yes, it is definitely summer when the show comes out because we're recording this, I think, a week early. So uh, anyway, so you're buying new properties. That's awesome. What? Tell me about this fourplex. Yeah, I got at? a great deal uh, off market. It was uh, 355K here in uh, in Denver, which is a great deal for fourplex. Getting units for less than 100K is um, pretty rare these days. A little bit of a management issue, so I'm really glad I got to pick Ryan's uh, brain on the yeah. show today because there were some tips that I'm definitely going to be implementing uh, with my own management. I think it'll take me a year or two to really nail down management given some of the tenants I met and some of the problems. There's actually a guy living in the crawl space. No way. So, <laughs> yeah, and again, this is all assuming that I get the property. We're under contract, and yeah. we just uh, he we just had the seller accept our inspection objection. All right. So, well, congratulations. That's awesome, and you you probably want to get that guy out of the crawl space. So. Let me know how that goes. Oh yeah, he, he's God. So now we have a, we have crawl space <laughs> locks, but there uh, there's actually an eviction going on at the property right now. So I'm hoping to get a vacant unit that is not trashed back when we close. But that's uh, awesome. But well, it's kind of a yeah new new stuff for me. Well, like you said, it was an awesome show then for you and for anybody who ever wants to invest in rental properties. You guys are going to love today's show. Ryan is a very experienced investor. He's been doing this for a while as both a property manager and a real estate agent and an investor, uh, owns a bunch of stuff, and he's very, very smart when it comes to dealing with tenants. And uh, we pretty much just pick his brain for a good hour today. So yeah, stay tuned Absolutely. for that. Yeah, this guy's been through it all. He's had yeah. some issues and yep. learned quite a bit. So, so yeah. definitely someone to kind of model, yeah. model and after. Listen to his conversation. You guys. Make sure you pay attention when he's talking about the no money down stuff. Uh, he's got a really, really good perspective that is not talked about enough when it comes to no money down, uh, where he did one, and then it's like the, the, the dark side of no money down. So listen close to that. Absolutely. All right. Well, before we get any further, why don't we go to today's quick tip? That was a multi-tip. Quick tip. That was a multi-tip. Tip, tip, What's your quick tip? Uh, today's, today's quick tip is if you have a deal that you are looking to sell, we're looking at you uh, listing agents or sellers, post them into the marketplace in bigger pockets. So, and uh, our, well, actually, our guest today, Ryan, actually bought one of his properties. I think it was his most recent property from a deal that he found in the marketplace. And if you want to go a step further, you can even submit those deals, that you, those listings that you have to our deal of the day segment, which runs on Facebook Live, uh, where Dave will talk about them and, and show off your property. Yeah. Pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. So uh, yeah, biggerpockets.com slash marketplace. Check it out. 
Remember when you had to pay to get a lead's phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right, get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. Whenever I used to travel, I would get that creeping feeling that I locked my back door. How do I know my property is going to be safe while I'm away? But not anymore, thanks to Simply Safe Home Security. I'm about to go on a three-week trip to Copenhagen, but am I tripping about my trip? Nope. With award-winning security and peace of mind from Simply Safe, I don't need to worry. Simply Safe is a super amazing alarm system that I actually installed in my house myself personally in less than 30 minutes. And there's so much peace of mind knowing that there's something in place to protect my homes, my goods, and my John Mayer shrine. Simply Safe systems have high-tech sensors that detect break-ins, fires, and floods, indoor and outdoor cameras to keep watch night and day, 24/7 professional monitoring at less than $1 a day. Plus, Simply Safe professional monitoring agents can even help stop crime in real time by speaking to intruders through the wireless indoor camera. Hey, hey bud, get out of here. It's like that, but it's a lot better, I imagine. And if you buy the system and you don't love it, you can get a full refund with Simply Safe's 60-day money-back guarantee. Simply Safe has given me and many of our listeners real peace of mind, and I want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off of any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com/pockets. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The Wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. We've got all the house cleaning done. We can get to the show. So Ryan Murdoch is a real estate investor from the Bangor, Maine area. Uh, the guy's been, like we said before, he's been through it all. He's had a lot of uh, a lot of both ups and downs with real estate. And you guys are going to hear those stories today. He's done a lot of evictions, learned how to manage tenants well, learned how to invest creatively and both the ups and downs of that. So listen close to that. Without further ado, let's bring him in. All right, Ryan, welcome to the show. Glad to have you here. Hey, thank you very much. It's an honor to be here, guys. I really appreciate you having me on. Yeah, yeah. This should be a lot of fun today. Uh, I guess you've, you've listened to the show quite a bit, right? You've heard the episodes, you know what's coming? 
Yeah, I have. I only found bigger pockets uh, about 10 months ago and uh, I wish I had found it 10 years ago or 15 years ago or whenever it got started, but I have absolutely absorbed everything that I could possibly get out of bigger pockets. I've read thousands of forum posts. Nice. I've listened to every single podcast. Um, so it's pretty surreal uh, sitting here now being on one of these podcasts less than a year later. So wow, I'm that's very, amazing. Excited, very excited. It's yeah, an amazing no, it, amount of binging. <laughs> it is binging. And it's funny because when Mindy uh, a couple months ago told me that I was going to be on here, I think I was on like podcast 130. So I'm like, oh my God, I got to get up to speed. So I think one week I knocked out 30 of them in a row. And I was Oof. I was about yeah, I was about ready to quit real estate at that point. I just had so much of it. But no, I got up to speed and, and it's phenomenal. You guys do a great job and I'm thrilled to be here. Well, thank you very much. And you are a Bigger Pockets Pro member, correct? I am. That's yes. awesome, Will. Thank you for being a pro member. And uh, yeah, that's awesome. So what? I guess, why don't we, uh, why don't we just start at the beginning of your story and, and hear about how you, how did you get into real estate investing? Like what'd that look like? I bought my first duplex back in 2007 and it was a house hack, uh, Brandon. I lived on the, in one unit and rented upstairs. Uh, I had just spent two years living in Asia. I was in electronics manufacturing in a previous life and, uh, kind of ran around the world, lived in a bunch of different places. And, and when I knew that ride was coming to an end, uh, I decided I wanted to start investing in real estate. I, I didn't know anything about it, but it sounded cool. So I remember when I was living in Hong Kong, I ordered property management for dummies and a bunch of other books and had them shipped over there and just read everything I could. Came back to the U.S. to Bangor, Maine, and, and bought this duplex to which my wife and I lived in. And I inherited absolutely awful tenants upstairs. So I was immediately... <laughs> Uh, immersed in the world of nightmare tenants and, you know, how difficult they can be to handle and, and, you know, everything that it takes to get them out and how delicate of a process that is. So, but that didn't deter me. I, I bought another duplex uh, a few months later and then, you know, just slowly added units uh, over the next few years. That was 2007, around the same time, maybe 2008. I think I was up to four or five rental units and uh, decided that I was knowledgeable enough to open a property management company. So I put up this crummy little website and just started advertising for property management. I had still no idea what I was doing, but figured, hey, I, you know, I can make a go of it. <laughs> my, my reasoning was I if I had four units that I was self-managing, uh, I said, well, I'm married to these things. I've got to be available at all times to, to deal with them. If I'm married to four, I might as well be married to as many more as I can get my hands on and, and try to make a little money. So, um, so I, yeah, so I built that business up to about 200 units over the, I think, next four or five years. I had my own portfolio of about 28 units and, and the rest were managed, but it was about 200 units total that I was overseeing. Wow. And also around that same time, 2008, I got my real estate license, uh, my broker's license. Uh, not so much that I wanted to be a real estate agent, although that's what ended up happening. You know, I was looking at $30,000, $40,000 foreclosures. And, and uh, as you guys are aware, it's tough to motivate an agent on a Saturday afternoon <laughs> to drop everything and go show you this $30,000 house. So I just wanted to get my license so I could kind of do my own showings and, you know, stop having to climb through windows. And, and you know, I, I figured... <laughs> If ever the real estate thing doesn't pan out, I'd make a great cat burglar because I've been in and out, uh, you know, every foreclosure before I called the agent to get them over there to to help me out. But yeah, uh, I, I can't say I've I've never done that. So <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, hey, the, the door was open. What are you going to do? You might as well walk in and take a peek around, right? So yeah. So let's let's unpack everything you did. I mean, there's a ton of really good stuff here. Like, sure. um, I know house hacking is something Scott and I both have done, uh, and we yeah. love it, right? And the first question that kind of stands out to me selfishly because I'm actually closing on a uh, four unit coming up here is dealing with inherited, inherited tenants. That was your first property, right? Well, yeah. I, all of my units have been vacant. So do you have any tips for those of us that are buying properties with people in them already that maybe the tenants aren't so great or yeah, trying to get I mean, your lease? 
Yeah, it really depends. And I think it's, you know, and I've inherited great tenants and I've inherited a bunch of bad ones. So it's kind of luck of the draw. You know, these guys, when I inherited them, they were current on their rent, you know, and that's about all the due diligence you can really do on them besides maybe walk through their unit and the unit looked good. They were current on the rent. So, hey, you know, these these guys will be okay. But I think I was even a little more sensitive to it because I was living uh, in that same building where, you know, and I can, I was a little uptight back then and just trying to, you know, do everything right and make sure everything, you know, they weren't violating, you know, any terms of their lease. And you know, I'm looking out the window and they've got an unauthorized vehicle out there or, you know, they got friends sleeping over. They're not supposed to be there. So, you know, I was a little hypersensitive to it, but, um, you know, it, it did steadily deteriorate and I did have to evict them uh, in court and, and get them to move out. So, you know, in buildings I bought since then, you know, really all I'm looking for is that the rent is current and that the units look good, um, which is, you know, my same criteria back then. But it was just a little different because I was living right there. Yeah. Yeah. I have uh, actually like uh, half my evictions. I think I've done four or five evictions. I think four. And two of them were inherited tenants that. Yeah. You know, and one of them we knew, oh, actually, I would say both of them, both of them, we went in kind of knowing there was something wrong. Like there yeah. were, there were definite red flags going into it. Yep. Um, yep. Like one was a hoarder, a garbage hoarder, and the other one yep. like wouldn't let us into the unit. So yep. <laughs> it was like. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's one of my pitches now when I, when I'm looking for buildings, I'll advertise that, that I buy buildings and I will inherit nightmare tenants because now I'm, I'm you know, I've learned enough that I, I know how to deal with them. I know how quickly I can get them out. It, you know, it's, it's just. Uh, you know, normal course of business now is evicting tenants if I have to. So if I can build, buy a building at a discount and take away somebody's problem tenants, whereas, you know, maybe with another buyer, they'd want those tenants out prior to closing. You know, I'll just take the whole thing if the price is right and just, you know, just know that I'm going to have two to three months of of, of turmoil yep. getting these guys out and probably a train wrecked unit to go in and turn over. But if the, you know, the buy is right, then it works. You know, what's funny about that. So my wife and I just had this conversation yesterday, how when I first got into real estate, I mean, everything was such a big deal. I mean, in my first eviction was like, Oh, oh yeah. like so oh, yeah. dramatic. Right. Yeah. And like yeah. now, like, and so now when we're talking to friends who have rentals or, or new people or, or even like family members and they're like, Oh, and then they did this and yeah. this. And I'm like, yeah. Hey, just business. Like it doesn't yeah. even phase yeah. me hardly anymore. Yeah. And like the faster you can get to that, the easier it is to get the emotion out of it. Like, just remember sure. like, this sure. is all just what it is to be a real estate investor. There's yeah. There's and, some and you hear some, some of these stories from new landlords and they're like, Oh, it was so awful. He did this yep. and this. And you know, was just, and I'm like, well, geez, I wish half my tenants were as good as that, you know? Uh, <laughs> so it's not really that big of a deal once you, you know, once you, you're, you're used to it. That's funny. Yeah. And I'm definitely one of those people that's like, Oh, I'd kind of wary about having to go through a first eviction. And I get the sense yep. from some of the units in this pro actually, in fact, one of them are going, one of the units is going through an eviction right now and they're supposed to be vacated before closing. So that's kind of an interesting one. And I'm, yeah, this is very new for me. So it's great <laughs> to hear sure. this. Yeah. Sure. It's, it's so much easier. Like I, that's what I feel like nobody told me before was that like everything, evictions or whatever. I mean, yeah, they take some work, but everything's easier than I expect it to be. Yeah. Like that one, my fear says it's going to be. Yeah, no, and it's very state specific and I'm sure it's reasonably yeah. similar. And, you know, the, the steps are very clearly defined and you've got to follow them to the letter. Yep. But if you do the things in the order that you're supposed to, the way you're supposed to, it's pretty simple. But I can absolutely understand why people are overwhelmed when yes. they've got to do it. Uh, I mean, I've certainly gone to court early on and been thrown right out of court because I forgot 
something uh, seemingly simple, but the judge looked at it and tossed it out. So, uh, you know, but after you, you do dozens of them and, and, you know, as as a property manager, I've sat through hundreds of evictions, not necessarily for myself, but for, you know, other property owners or if we take over management of a, of a problem building and you've got to go clean it out. You know, every one of those evictions that I have sat through for another property owner, you know, I'm keeping some of that knowledge for myself and it just makes me, you know, a, a better landlord for, for my own units and, and more experience dealing directly with my own tenants. Very cool. So I, I got a question about something else you said in that kind of intro segment there is um, you talked about getting your license that you could go view that $30,000 unit that an agent sure. doesn't want to bother to show you on Saturday. And I've, yep. I've heard this frustration from many investors where uh, many agents who work with investors saying, Hey, yeah. you know, in Denver, we have uh, agents aren't even willing to entertain $150,000 units. They don't mm-hmm. even want to help you look at those. Yeah. So that these, these folks are like, how, how can a new investor get the support they need to analyze the dozens of deals that are on that oh so critical first purchase uh, from the agents that maybe don't want to put in the time to help them? Yeah, it's it's really tough. I mean, if you don't have an agent who's willing to help you out, and typically if the agent is as experienced as you wish that he was to help you, he's probably busier doing or he or she's busier doing more profitable things and isn't going to want to help you. Uh, you know, if you're able to seek out e- even a non-agent, but just a mentor in your area, somebody that's been doing this longer than you have that can help you analyze deals, you know, even if it's not on MLS, there's enough other information out there on just public websites to, you know, to help you through it. If not, I mean, it's tough. You just got to, you know, you got to grind it out. And and that's what I did. I would try. I did find some agents that were you know, okay in helping me. They weren't always available when I wanted them, but I would just try to minimize my impact to them. I would try to do as much of my own legwork. You know, if if something popped up online, I would go drive out to the house myself first, look around and see if there was anything that, you know, that was a deal breaker for me before calling the agent immediately and saying, I need to get in there. So, uh, you know, just just trying to minimize the impact of the agent. So when I did call, uh, yeah, I could maximize their value. Yeah. I like that a lot. Another thing that you could do, like, you know, let's say an agent doesn't want to do it for like for Scott, for example, for $150,000 property. If you call the selling agent, you know, then they're, they're thinking, Oh, I get double the commission. All of a sudden that crappy yeah. deal that they didn't even mm-hmm. want to list. Cause they're not making much. Yeah. Now they're making twice yeah. as much. It, it's a lot yeah. easier to get them to come show you a unit. Cause they know they're going to get both halves. Yeah. And I'd even do that now as an agent, I would say, you know, if there was a, sm- a smoking deal or, or, uh, you know, negotiations were tight and it was a listed property, I would have no problem just saying, Hey, you keep both sides of the deal uh, yep. as a listing agent and, you know, just represent me as a buyer. There you go. There you go. I think that's just part of the deal. Is successful agents don't want to don't yeah. want to work with newbies that are going to demand a lot of time for very low commissions. And yeah, I don't want to do it now. You know, I I wouldn't jump off the couch on on a Saturday afternoon and go run and, and show somebody something. I mean, I've met some some younger investors, especially on bigger pockets. I've hooked up with some guys, some younger guys locally, and I love you know sitting down, having a cup of coffee, and you know fielding emails and calls and questions and helping out where I can. But you know, like anywhere else, when it, when a great deal pops up on the market, it's gone not only in a matter of days, but in a matter of hours. And I can't guarantee that I'm going to want to drop what I'm doing and go help that buyer on, on yeah. that particular property. Yeah. So I get it. Yeah. Well, so let's go back to your story a little bit, you know, so you, you started the property management business, you started acquiring properties. I mean, what was your, let, let me first get like, where were you in job wise here? Did you, did you have a full-time job? Was property management your full-time gig? I mean, how did that transition from job? Uh, to- no, I was working a, a, a day job here uh, outside of real estate just to pay the bills while okay. I got up and running. And it was tough, you know, every break and every lunch break, I was out on the phone trying to, you know, call my agent or call a bank or, you know, I had no money. So I was grinding it out like anybody else that starts where I'm just trying to get financing and, you know, I'm doing FHA or conventional loans or the 30 year 
30 year loans and the property's got to conform to, you know, all these standards. And I mean, it was, it was a real hassle. So I, when I became, when I got my real estate license, I was working a, a regular uh, day job. And in, in this state and probably many others, you have to hang your license at an agency. So you have to have an agency that kind of sponsors you, you put your, your license there. And uh, I found one and I was just kind of going in after work and on days off and just hanging out in the office. And I asked the designated broker there one day, and this was 2008. This is right when, you know, everything was just falling apart. I said, I, I just, I got to quit my job. I can't stand it anymore. I said, I want to do real estate. It's, it's, you know, it's, I'm eating, breathing, sleeping real estate. Do you think it's okay if I quit my job and just, you know, be a broker full time and, and work here? And she said, absolutely not. Don't do that. She said, you know, build up, build up your network of people, build up your clients, uh, you know, get established as an agent before you quit your job. Well, next day I called her up and I said, Hey, uh, I quit my job. So I gotta make, I gotta make this work. I gotta make this work. So, so yeah, I went to work uh, full time there. And, and luckily at that agency, the administrative assistant had quit a couple of days after I quit my job. So I, I never really had aspirations to be a secretary, but it was a steady paycheck and it yep. kept me in the real estate office. So I was the administrative assistant there for the better part of a year. Uh, so I had a small paycheck and it kept me in the office and I had the flexibility to run out and do showing. So I, you know, I made it work, I made it work. I love that. I love that. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. You know, that is a tough question of like, you know, when do you quit your job? I mean, some people take the approach of save up the income, get the cash flow you need or the business, you know, run to the point you want and then quit. And other people do the burn your ships, you know, sort of analogies. Oh yeah. No, it was a horrible decision. I, if anybody <laughs> asked me that same question, I would say, don't ever do that. Don't ever do that. I mean, that was just a bad decision. It, it turned out fine, but it was, you know, I would never advise anybody to just, you know, quit and hope for the best. That's yeah. not a good, not a good strategy. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things I think that people forget when they go to these, when they, when they quit their job is, Hey, you know, it's kind of hard to get a mortgage if you've never invested yep. in real estate before and you don't have that job income first. So at yes. the very least, don't quit your job and then apply for mortgages and, and try to buy right. properties with that stuff. Yeah. And that was tough because I lost my W-2 job at that point. I was an independent mm -hmm. contractor. So now you're self-employed and it kind of starts that two-year clock of, of, you know, that the banks want to see for uh, steady income. So and yeah, it's it usually tough. a couple of years yeah. before you build up enough income in that yes. business. So it's, yes. I mean, you might yes. be four years before yes. you can get a mortgage when you quit. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, just so frustrating to be out, you know, pounding the streets, trying to find these deals, but not really having the ability to buy them and watching all these things go to cash buyers. And, you know, you're, you're, you're just sitting on the sidelines frustrated. And that's, that's where I was, but I, I continued to build up the property management business. I said, I got that up to about 200 or so units. And, uh, I maintained that for, I don't know, better part of four or five years managing those units. And I was pretty much a one man band. I mean, I had a small network of, of independent handyman contractors and, and, uh, you know, licensed electricians and that kind of stuff. But everything was going through my cell phone. It was, you know, all, all the maintenance calls, all the middle of the night, no heat calls, all the, you know, all the leasing, everything was going through me. And I just got to the point where I just, I couldn't keep up anymore. I mean, that's 200 units is that's, that's a that's full a plate for, yeah. yeah, for, for that long of time. So I knew uh, that something had to change. I, I knew that I either had to hire employees, which has its own headaches and stresses and all that kind of stuff, or I would have to scale back on some of that business. And I was financially strapped. So I didn't want to get rid of any good business uh, because I, I really couldn't afford to. And I guess I, I had purchased some some buildings that were not performing the way I wanted. And I guess we'll get into that a little later, but I didn't want to get rid of any of my management business because I needed the income. So I ended up uh, contacting one of the bigger management companies in my town and uh, just kind of, uh, I didn't know them real well, but I, I knew they were okay guys. And uh, went in, just sat down, kind of told them my story and ended up going to work for them. They had, I don't know, maybe a thousand or so units that they were managing. 
but I went to work for them as a W-2 employee. So it worked for me because they had all the stuff that I was lacking. They had the administrative assistance and the uh, the payroll handyman and the bigger network of independent contractors and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it worked for them because I showed up self-funded. I brought all my business with me, you know, which paid for my salary. So it was great. I was a W-2 employee again. So I was, I was bankable. I could get loans and, you know, I had the freedom now where I could, I could disappear for a weekend and the place wouldn't burn down around me. So uh, that, that, that was a big step. That's cool. That's so fascinating because that's that's like the opposite path that most real estate investors kind of yeah. envision. They're like, yeah. oh, I want to quit my job yeah. and get into real estate. And you're like, I right. want to quit this full-time nightmare and go into yeah. Yeah. A, a job that offers these benefits and perks. Yeah, but it worked because it was, you know, it, it, comp, it complemented and it still does complement my own uh, real estate investing because it's a property management company. So all of my own units are managed there and I'm still very involved. Obviously, I work there, but, you know, I don't have to deal with every every detail of, of everything. I, you know, I'll, I'll you know, pick some other projects within the company and work on those while, you know, somebody else might be fielding my, my units maintenance calls. So it's, 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 it's been a great match. I love that. You know, I, I do this, uh, you know, webinar every, I don't know, eight weeks or 12 weeks or something like that. And it's basically called how to quit your job through the power of real estate. And I talk about how, you know, what do you need to do to be able to quit your job? And one of the things I talk about in here is you don't have to necessarily build up a business good enough. You can switch to a job that's in the industry and then you get all the benefits sure. of being in that, just like you did with the administrative sure. assistant, yeah. uh, that can yep. be often, yeah, oftentimes way better than just quitting. I mean, go become a mortgage broker, work at a property management business, become a handyman for for a landlord, yeah, be yeah. an assistant. Absolutely. Anything that complements your business, even if it's a trade, like you said, become an electrician or, you know, even if you work at, at Lowe's or Home Depot, I don't know if yep. they, they probably have some sort of, you know, employee discount, anything that, that helps you on your path to building your portfolio. Awesome. Um, yeah, it sounds to me like you found a lot of synergy with what yeah, with, yeah. with the path that you chose and that's why yes. you've been able to be successful there yep. changing pace a little bit can we talk about the units that maybe didn't perform so well that you mentioned earlier sure. the ones that yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, back i don't know it's probably three years after i got my start uh i was uh i had my property management company on my own i was still a real estate agent but i didn't have a w-2 income so i was having a real hard time buying anything substantial because i just couldn't get adequate financing and i stumbled into a deal it was a 20 unit portfolio, 20 door portfolio spread across, I think it was three or four uh, different buildings. And uh, I was able to get into that for very little money down. Uh, the owner uh, was willing to finance uh, about 95% of it, uh, give or take. So I was pretty excited because it was a, it was a significant group of buildings. I mean, I think I had uh, six or eight units at the time and I was going to be able to buy uh, 20 more. And I, I was so hungry for a deal that when I found this, uh, I thought I was still being pretty cautious. I mean, I analyzed the numbers. I had my spreadsheets and pro formas and, you know, stayed up all night, you know, looking at these numbers from every which way I possibly could and thought I was pretty conservative uh, with all my my vacancy and my repairs and my capex and all that kind of stuff and, and went ahead and, and, and did it. And I bought these buildings and they're rough. They're, you know, C, C minus buildings, pretty banged up, but I, I was okay with that. But, you know, what I, what I failed to do and I, what I think a lot of new investors will fail to do is... Yeah, you can run your calculations on how the buildings can and should perform. But where I got killed is I didn't have any working capital. I didn't have any money. I needed these things to to hit the ground running. And where I got tripped up is I didn't anticipate the level of work it was going to take to get these buildings to where they needed to be. And when I say work, I don't mean necessarily, you know, physical repairs, but the 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 tenants I misjudged 
the caliber of the tenants. There were some that were not paying. I didn't dig deep enough into the receipts and, and the accounting piece of the buildings to see who was paying, who wasn't. And even some of the tenants that were paying were just causing so many problems elsewhere that I, it took me the better part of two years to get the the bad tenants out and get the units fixed up and, and get new tenants in. And, you know, most of those were, were through evictions. And even the units, when I originally bought the buildings that were in reasonably decent shape, as soon as I evicted those tenants, I mean, they were they were trashing these units on the way out. I mean, they were, you know, just at, kicking through walls and, you know, ripping toilets out of the floor. And I mean, just just destroying them. You know, so I was down the vacancy period, the, the lost rent, uh, the two, three, four, five thousand dollar unit turnover, which which added up across, you know, 20, 20 doors. Uh, when you have no money, that, that's pretty tough. So I ended up, you know, my my initial projection was I was going to have to put no money into these buildings. And over two, almost three years, I put almost $100,000 of my own money into, wow. you know, just, just, just repairs. I replaced all the heating systems, not because they were far, the fuel consumption was far off my original calculations, but I knew if I upgraded to new natural gas heating systems, my, my fuel bill would be lower. So I was just, you know, I was just scrambling to try to cut costs and I had to spend money to, to, to do it. So I really got into a bind, uh, financially and it was absolutely hands down the most stressful period of my life was, was, you know, not being able to make my, I've always made my payments on everything. Uh, I've always been upfront with everybody and, and I just, I, I couldn't, I couldn't make the payments and, and keep up with these buildings. So I ended up going back to the seller and it was, you know, one of the most awkward, uh, difficult conversations I had ever had. And I had to work out a deal with him, you know, to de- defer some payments and, and just, you know, have a period of interest only uh, payments. And I had kind of laid out a plan. Uh, I said, look, I said, I've got the buildings performing now the way that they were supposed to be. And they were actually better than my initial projections. But I had dug myself such a hole getting them there. That I said, look, they're, they're, they're doing well, but here's what I need over the next couple of years, you know, to, to dig out of this hole. I need to defer some payments. I need to do some interest only stuff. But at the end of that, I will make you whole. And the the original financing terms where it was a five year note on a with a twenty year air warrant balloon at the end of the five years. So when I went to the bank after about year three, after I'd kind of cleaned these things up, I went to the bank and, you know, I was up front with them. I told them everything. I told them all the gory details of what I, you know, just told you guys and, and uh they said, okay, it said that it looks good, but we want to see two solid years of positive performance out of these buildings before we'll lend on. Oh man. All right. So, so yeah, I was able to hang on there for two years and it, it was tense. And you know, the, the seller uh, was not happy. I don't blame him. I wouldn't have been happy, but we were able to work through it. And I actually was able to refinance those buildings and pay him off earlier than, than the five year mark. So, so it all, it, it all worked out well, but it was, it was just horrendously stressful. And, and I just, you know, I see these people diving into deals and they've done their, you know, 10% repair and 10% CapEx. And, you know, that, that's all well and good. But if on day one, you've got to put $50,000 into either a, a significant capital repair or a capital replacement, or, you know, it's going to take you two years to get the buildings cleaned out and, and repopulated with, with good paying tenants, you've got to account for that or have the ability to get money somewhere, either because you just have it or you're able to borrow it somewhere else to be able to do that. Yeah. Wow. So like, I think that one of the, the, the primary point that sticks out to me in this is that you mentioned that you, you didn't have a lot of working capital going into the deal. Nope. And I think that could you could you expound, explain like how that would this investment have changed dramatically from a financial and stress perspective if you had 100 grand in liquidity to tackle these problems from day one and been able to kind of stretch out this timeline of, of when you need to have it? 
Oh yeah, no, it would it would have been completely different. Uh, I mean, it's, mm-hmm. certainly it still would have been stressful, but not nearly as bad if I if I had the ability to you know to just pour the money in or or to you know bridge these periods of, of vacancy and you know deal with all these with these unit turnovers. And what happened is because I didn't have the money, you know, even the ten or twelve percent repair budget that I had factored in, yep. I didn't have the money. I didn't have the money to do that. You know, somebody would call with a legitimate maintenance problem, and you know, my stomach would just tighten up because it was legitimate. I had to fix it but I didn't have the money. You know, I didn't even like to drive by the buildings because I was afraid I was going to see some other broken thing on the outside of the building that I, <laughs> that I would have to fix. You know, and that's a slippery slope because if you don't maintain your buildings, then they deteriorate and that doesn't help you get any better tenants. So your tenant population gets worse and worse and your vacancy rates goes up. So it, it snowballs on itself. So yeah, if I had had the cash or the ability to, you know, to I mean, I, I was able to find the cash, but I was putting it on, you know, h- higher interest loans and credit cards and, you know, all the stuff that y- you don't want to do where I was taking it from, you know, all the other income streams uh, that I had were just going into, you know, trying to trying to float this building. And it was extremely stressful. I think this Go is ahead. a huge point for low and no money down buyers. Yeah. It's like, yeah. hey, you don't need you know, maybe you didn't you know, yeah. purchase the property with any of your own money, but you, sh- you better have tens of thousands of dollars for a property that's in bad shape, maybe even more if you're going to buy a property that has this kind of, that's in this kind of condition, because that is money that you will need to bring to the table and have accessible in order to take care of problems. And, and, you know, you call them capital expenditures, but for a lot of people in your situation, they they might've been called disasters. Yeah, Yeah, uh, it almost was. Yeah, no, it almost was. And I think you've kind of got to scale it to your own situation and what you have for other income. You know, if this, if I had the same scenario with a single family home or a duplex, okay, I probably could have sucked it up and just paid for it out of, you know, my other streams of income. But with the size of this project, uh, in the magnitude of the issues, I couldn't, I couldn't float that with, with other income streams. So I was, I was in a bad spot. Well, there's a couple of things that stand out to me about this. I mean, first of all, and this is something like I think a lot of people get confused about when we talk about no money or low money down. I mean, I'm the guy I wrote the book right on no and low money down. And I make a point in that book that creative investing is not about being broke. It's just about putting together a deal without your own money. Like nobody mm-hmm. should if they can't if you can't feed your family, if you can't you know, support yourself, if, if things go a little bit wrong, like you should not be doing a deal with no money down unless like the way I look at it is you know, you could go get really creative with seller financing or with a lease option or combine a bunch of things. But what I, I tend to like better is find somebody who's got money and then partner. Cause at least then you yeah. have the financial backing. If something goes wrong, if you're going to do no yeah. money down, I like the partner route because yeah, then you at least have, I mean, you have money at that point. Cause it's yep. your partner might yep, not like you, like you using it, but you know, it's there and you went into this together. So. Yeah. But it's, at least it's a backstop, you know, and I had nothing. I was all in to even get these things you know, initially and, yep. and had, there was, there was nothing left to, to take when I needed it. Yeah. That makes sense. Wow. Anyway, well, I'm glad you got out of that because that's, I mean, this is really a good <laughs> yeah, lesson. Yeah. We yeah. don't, we don't talk about the stuff that uh, the, that often, like the kind of the, the downsides, like what, what can go wrong with real estate? Uh, and I think that's, yeah, it, it was, it was very humbling, you know, and, and I see the guys and, you know, I, I respect them. If if everybody, you know, hits every deal out of the park and everything's a success, great. You know, I, I wish that on everybody, but it, it's humbling and, you know, very informative when, when you crash and burn, you, you, you learn a lot. And yep. who was it a few podcasts ago said you either, you either win or you learn. Yep. I mean, that's, yep. that, that's huge. I mean, mm-hmm. that's exactly that. So, you know, if, if you can, if you can get knocked down and you get back up and you brush yourself off, man, it's, it's made me a better investor uh, moving forward. Cause I've been a lot more conservative on my buys to the point where I probably passed up some things that would have been a good deal, but I just have vowed that I will never get in that position that I was five, six years ago. I'll, I'll never let it happen again. Yeah. You know, I, I don't think it comes to mind then it's like, you know, trying to get a good firm grasp on that 
what it's going to cost to actually turn around a property, especially if you're buying a fixer-upper. You know, we talk a lot about Burr investing here, buying fixer-upper yep. properties, refinancing. Yep. Like, how to get an accurate cost to really fix up a property? I mean, do you have any suggestions on how can a person do that? Well, I think a, a burr or, or vacant building is actually easier because then you know exactly yep. what you're working with. When you have tenants in a building and the more tenants you have, the, the more of an issue it can be is they're a huge variable. You know, if you're inheriting these guys and, and they're on somebody else's lease and somebody else's rules and they're used to doing things a certain way and you step foot in the property and say, OK, this is the way it's going to be moving forward. And, and they change dramatically. Either they, you know, they don't want to adhere to your new rules or they, they stop paying. And when they stop paying, if they if they damage the unit on the way out, you know, that five thousand dollar turn uh, when they trash the place on the way out wasn't in your initial projection. So, you know, it's almost easier in a sense, I think, from a. To, to calculate the cost of a project when you buy a building that's completely vacant, because then you know, okay, I'm going to go in, I'm going to, I'm going to fix these units up. This is what it's going to cost. And I'm going to fill them with tenants that I have screened that are on my lease that are on my rules. And, you know, I'm going to be able to more effectively to deal with them if, if they become a problem. Yeah. Awesome. That. So you, so you move past this deal. You, you, you had a learning experience. How many, how many deals and, and doors do you have now? I am up to 45 doors now uh, of my own, uh, you know, and that's in addition to uh, the company that I work for that manages. I think we're up to about 1,500 that we manage total, but uh, 45 of those are mine. Wow, that's wow. awesome. Um, I mean, are those multifamily? I'm assuming there's a lot of multifamily in there, or how's that break down? Uh, yeah, a little bit of everything. I think there's four, maybe three or four single-family homes. I've got a couple duplexes, some three and four units. Uh, I just bought a 10-unit few weeks ago, which is my biggest one. And yeah, so kind of a little bit of everything. Can we, can we dive into that 10 unit a little bit? I was, I like the bigger deals. So how did you, sure. how did you find that, that 10 unit? Uh, bigger pockets marketplace. Did you really? Ding. Oh wow. Yeah, I really did. I that's really awesome. did. Yeah. That's one of my <laughs> BP success stories before I'll back up a little bit. When I sure. found bigger pockets uh, last year, I had 28 doors. And so I bought 17 more since finding bigger pockets and, and I will attribute most all of it to just motivation of listening to the podcast and learning little things and just helping me seek out deals in a more efficient and better fashion. So the, the 10 unit was one that I first saw on the bigger pockets marketplace. It was a local guy who I had never heard of. I conversed with him a couple times on bigger pockets, which is where I found him. And it's, it's strange. I live in a small town. I, you know, you pretty much know who everybody else is, especially in the investing circle, but I had never heard of this guy. And, uh, you know, I, once I had talked to him a little bit, I, I was familiar with his pro with some of his properties and, and, uh, he, you know, he's just starting to wind down a little bit. He's a little bit older, uh, wants to start unloading some of these things. So yeah, it's a, it's a 10 unit building. It's in a rough area. The building itself is good structurally. You know, new roof, new heating system, uh, you know, the, the, the units are in, in good shape because of the area. The tenant population is is rougher. And I just told you my sob story about inheriting terrible <laughs> tenants. But, yeah. yeah, I'm older and wiser now, you know, and, and the, the purchase price was was definitely uh, worth the risk of inheriting these tenants. And I'm just I'm more geared up now and, and just uh, better equipped to, to deal with with troublesome tenants, you know, either to, to work them along and get them on the program or, or to get them out quickly. And I bought this building knowing that I'd be okay, even if I had to go through and, and clean house entirely and start over. Oh. Yeah. So it's, it's going to be a good building. All right. That's awesome. So I'm curious of what kind of metrics you use to decide, like what made you say that deal was going to make sense where other ones didn't like, do you look for cash flow per unit or a return on investment? Like what makes you decide? 
Yeah, I'm looking for cash flow, you know, and I don't have guys will run solely off cap rates and all this stuff. And, you know, I look at it, you know, which you probably should do, uh, but I look at every deal individually. And, you know, a lot of it depends on my motivation on any given day, what other deals I have going on. If it's been three or four months since I bought anything, I'm going to be a little hungrier. If I'm juggling a couple of deals and maybe I'll pass on something that I would have bought six months ago. But this 10 unit, it was uh, $265,000 for 10 units and it can the, the gross rents are about six grand a month, you know, so I should, I think I'll clear probably 1500 a month or give or take after, after everything. I mean, after factoring in, you know, for reserves and repairs and, and, you know, heating, heating costs, which is a big deal up here. It's cold. You buy a lot yeah. of heating fuel. Do you pay all the heat then for the property or can you sub me to that somehow? To the no, there's only one, there's only one heating system. So okay. you're on the hook for it as a landlord, but it's fine. I mean, we factor it into the rent and I've got a high efficiency heating system. So, you know, that building heats as well as everything else. So yeah, conservatively, I should cash flow about 1500 a month. I'm hoping more for two to 2,500. My conservative number was, was 1500 a month. Yeah, that's amazing. I love I love how you mentioned that you're it's kind of a given day like any yep. given day is how you kind of analyze the deals one by one. I think that's such a huge thing that people forget when you hear a professional investor who analyzes each deal and is looking is going to ready to go on each one of those. That's not how the majority of people that are scaling their portfolios operate. I think I think they do exactly yep. what you're talking about. And, hey my personal life, my personal financial position, the other things in my business have to be in position before I can offer on these properties. Um, But going with that, how did you fund this 10 unit deal? I put 50,000 down uh, cash out of my own pocket and the seller financed the balance, which was another component of this uh, that I really liked. He was willing to finance it for uh, 15 years at at 5%. So, I mean, it it, it was just, it cash flows all day long at that. Jumped on it. That's awesome. And I should have probably said this earlier, but I'll say it now is, you know, if you're listening to this podcast right now and you're not checking the bigger pockets uh, marketplace, definitely, definitely do so. And there's a couple of easy ways that you can do that. Uh, You can set up keyword alerts so that certain words pop up and somebody puts an ad in the marketplace for whatever. So I would recommend every single person listening to this, go right now to go to biggerpockets.com slash alerts, A-L-E-R-T-S, and put in your town name and all the town names around you. Uh, I think, I think Scott, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Free members can do a certain number of keyword alerts and pro members can do unlimited, I think, or I'm not sure. Yeah, I think, I think that, like that we changed it so that free members can get unlimited. Oh, um, but I'll, I'll double check that. Okay. So. Well, cool. Well, either yeah, way. That, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, that's how I found it. It was a keyword alert. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, lo- I love that. So yeah, definitely go in there, set up some keyword alerts. And then when deals come up, jump in there. I mean, like the faster you can jump, I think what it is, is pro members can do uh, text message alerts. Uh, so yes. That, yeah. So like I have a text message. So every time the word like, I won't say it because everyone will will (laughs) spam me with ads. But like, if a certain word comes up on my on my phone, like on the marketplace, I get a text message. I can jump in and talk to them right away. So there you go. Right. All right. So you're funding this one with a conventional, like you went to the bank, put down a down payment, then you bought it, and then the well, no, that's right. You said no, no, that's right. Seller financing. Sorry. Yeah, Lost seller finance. Seller finance down down, yeah. down payment. Yeah, the, the deals I had done earlier this year, every one of them I had purchased. Yeah, every one of them I purchased cash, renovated them with my own cash, and then went to the bank and refinanced them and got all my money out. Uh, this was the only one that I put cash into and and left there. And that I guess that's the other piece of me being conservative is just you know I'm okay with 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 that amount of money just sitting there. 
Yep. Uh, I know people scream equities just dead laying there, whatever. But uh, again, that's just me from previous experience, not wanting to be so stuck anywhere, anytime that, that you know, I could unload this thing and, and, yep. and, and sell it in a heartbeat or, you know, ha- have some options if I need to get out of it or, or get into trouble. I love that. I mean, I actually got a couple of properties right now free and clear because like, yeah, it's, yeah. I'm not going to get in the highest return, but I actually hope in the next 10 years to pay off everything. And yeah, I'm not getting yeah. the highest return yeah. on my investment, but who cares? Like life isn't about getting the highest return on my investment. Yeah. You know, yeah. so like, yeah. yeah, I think that's cool. You know, and, I, and I'm 40 years old now. If I was 20, maybe I'd be a yep. little more adventurous again, you know, but I mean, at 40 years old, you know, I'd like to start seeing stuff getting paid down and paid off, you know, a little sooner than, than I would have if I was younger, you know, so that's why, that's why I went that route. Very cool. Very cool. Well, I mean, so what's your plan going forward and where are you headed with your business? Keep buying as many units as I possibly can. Um, and hopefully by the time I'm bored or just burned out on doing this, I can eat, I'm either making enough money that I can pay to have them manage full time and I'm completely hands off or just sell them and cash out or, you know, maybe a combination of both. You know, I certainly generate enough income from all these now that I could quit everything except for these properties and just, just self manage my units. Yep. Uh, but I don't because I like the other stuff that I do and, and it does complement. Uh, my ability to to buy properties. So, you know, I, I'll keep doing it until I don't like to do it anymore. That's very cool. Very cool. Well, maybe like the last thing, can you kind of, before we move on to the fire round, can you, you know, talk real quick about, I guess people that are listening to the show right now that are where you were 10 years ago, let's say, you know, yeah. what can you tell them about, about building their portfolio, the mistakes you made, things that they should do, not do uh, kind of just talk to our audience that way. Yeah. Just, just don't overextend yourself. And, you know, I, I think people will get, you know, so hungry for a deal because of whatever reason, either their market is is tough to buy in or, you know, they have a hard time getting financing that when they finally find something that, that, that they can do, they feel like they need to do it. And, and I know that's a fine line between, you know, the analysis paralysis thing. And, you know, you got to you got to bite the bullet and just do it at some point. But, you know, don't don't jump on something that's going to blow up in your face, you know, especially if you don't have money. I mean, if I had. You know, if I have kids, if I had kids that were growing up, I would, you know, encourage them, save as much money as you can, you know, put, put that bigger down payment yeah. down if you can have the reserves, you know, if you just go on by the skin of your teeth, you, 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 your risk is, is just so high. Yeah, that's true. That's really good advice. Uh, you know, and like you said, you know, everybody's got a kind of a different place they're coming from, right? So if you're 20 years old, you might have a different plan than somebody who's 40 or 60. Sure. Uh, if you want to be more yeah. aggressive, you got kids, you got, I mean, yeah, like it's important that people don't just listen to like what. Scott Trench says, or what I say, or what Josh says, or you say, like, take that into consideration, but everything is going to be different for every single person. And so like, yeah. Yeah. I I, I wouldn't want a 30 year mortgage right now at at age 40, you know, 15, 20 year mortgage, if I can do it. And, and, you know, the other piece of it, uh, if I can is, you know, I, I had my buildings that I was kind of handcuffed financially with for so long that you tend to just kind of lose track of them. And I think part of finding bigger pockets and just getting, uh, getting into a podcast every day and just having this stuff front and center and being excited about it made me go back and revisit the buildings that I had, even those 20 units that I, that I got in trouble with, you know, I was able to, I had enough equity at that point that, you know, I was able to pull a line of credit on those, which I used to then buy, you know, some more single family homes to, to renovate and do the burst strategy with, and, you know, start, start looking at your own portfolio. Uh, even my own, even my own house, I kind of circled back and looked at my primary residence and said, you know, pulled up the mortgage says, why am I paying people? PMI on this. You know, when I, when I bought my house, I was just thrilled that somebody would give me a loan to buy the house. I didn't care how or what, or you know, I got a loan. Let's buy the house. But now after all these years have gone by, I go back and say, why am I paying, you know, 200 some odd dollars a month in PMI? So I went back to the bank, was able to refinance the house. I got, you know, a, a, a 
shorter term note, I dropped the PMI and was able to pull uh, a line of credit out of that. Just, I mean, this stuff was sitting right under my own nose. I just didn't, you know, did, didn't have the motivation to go and, and reevaluate it. So I went, you know, through three or four of my other properties and said, oh, yeah, wait a minute, I could be doing a lot better just with what I have here. Let, let's, let's circle back and, and refi and, and, you know, free up, free up some more cash. I love that. Well, on that note, I wanted to jump to the fire round, but I have one more question I just thought of. Uh, you talked about doing the Burr strategy, which if you're not yeah. familiar with that, people listening, uh, it's where you buy a property like a fixer-upper, you fix it up, and then you rent it out. So instead of flipping it, yeah. you rent it, and then you refinance it with a new loan. So you mentioned doing that. Uh, how long are you having to wait uh, between you know, buying the property and then able to refinance? Are you, are you seeing a requirement from the lender? Yeah, no, I have finally got hooked up with a with a commercial lender. They do portfolio loans, so there is there is zero seasoning, which is which has been That's huge awesome. for me. Yeah, so I've done them a couple different ways, uh, and I've done I think I think three burrs since I since I learned the the term last year, where I'll buy them cash, fix them up, and then refinance them, or uh, I can go to the lender and they'll give me a loan on an as completed value, so they'll have it appraised and uh, give me the purchase. They give me up to eighty percent of the as completed value, so. You know, let's say it appraises as complete for a hundred thousand. They'll give me up to eighty thousand. If I only pay, you know, fifty thousand for the building, then that gives me thirty thousand to, to put into it for repairs. That's cool. What kind of terms are you getting on a, on a that from that portfolio lender? Fixed for for five years okay. um, at a pretty good rate, whatever four point something, maybe five percent now, uh, and then variable at the at the end of the five years, which is a little scary. Uh, I don't like variable anything, but you know, I'm putting them on 15, 15 year terms, 20 year terms, maybe, and throwing a little extra principal at it. So hopefully by the time the five years is up, you know, I'll be in pretty good, pretty good shape. And I'm not, I'm not, you know, over leveraging the properties as they are now. I've got, I think a couple that are at 80% and uh, most of them are at like, you know, 60, 65%. So I'm trying to, trying to stay fairly conservative and, and, and not be over leveraged. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I know a couple of my portfolio lenders that have doing the bur. Yeah, we go into the same thing and to, you know, maybe yeah. fixed for five or I think one did seven and then variable. Yeah. And it makes me a little nervous, but the difference between variable today and what it used to be is the variables that I'm doing have a cap at like 10 or 11 percent that yeah, the highest yeah, I can ever caps. get. Yep. yep. And so yeah, like, so it's not, not yeah. the end of the world. If, yep. You know. I look at worst case scenario, it's like an extra $200 a month. And I'm like, well, yeah. I'm still cash flowing at that. So I'm okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. And the local lender I have, you know, I think it's very important that people build a relationship with uh, a local lender, if at all possible. I, I am absolutely certain that, that some of these deals that I've been able to do with the bank, I would not have been able to do if I didn't have that personal relationship with, yeah. with the loan officer. I mean, he, he he's local. He knows me. He knows what I'm, what I'm doing. He knows the area, you know, and since they're a portfolio lender, they've got a little more flexibility, you know, as opposed to you know, some, some national lender or bank of America or one, you know, what, whatever, one of the big guys that, you know, you don't get to sit down face to face with anybody. They don't know who you are. Uh, they're, you know, on the 27th floor, two time zones away, you know, it, it's, it's just not the same. And, and even if you're just going to buy, you know, a single family home as your primary residence, but you think you're going to be investing later on, you know, sacrifice the, the quarter point that you may get, uh, with one of the, one of the big guys and just, just go and, and get a loan with, with, with a local bank just so they know who you are. I mean, I just so that, that they, you know, they build a relationship with you. And, you know, so when you do go back with something that maybe is a little more creative and, and, you know, you need their assistance on, they already know who you are. I mean, it, it it's, it's tough to ask for money, even from a bank, uh, you know, the first time you meet them, you know, if they, if you walk in and, Hey, how's it going? And they know who you are and they've seen you come in for, for the past, you know, months or, or years, you're going to be, you're going to be much further ahead. So, you know, even if it's a slightly higher rate, it's going to be worth in the long run to build that relationship. 
Love it. I, I love that. So many of my friends and these first time investors are like so worried about are they getting the best rate and are they getting yeah. the lowest fees from their lender? And I'm like, yeah. it's really the relationship that matters so yeah. much more. If yeah. you can, you know, you can make this yes. a smooth, easy, painless transition. So, yep. Yep. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Fantastic tip. Well, uh, this is awesome. Uh, why don't we uh, transition a little bit and head over to the world famous fire round? It's time for the fire round. Whether you need to buy or sell, or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find a home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours even on the same day with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help you get the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. Whenever I used to travel, I would get that creeping feeling that I locked my back door. How do I know my property is going to be safe while I'm away? But not anymore, thanks to Simply Safe Home Security. I'm about to go on a three-week trip to Copenhagen, but am I tripping about my trip? Nope. With award-winning security and peace of mind from Simply Safe, I don't need to worry. Simply Safe is a super amazing alarm system that I actually installed in my house myself personally in less than 30 minutes, and there's so much peace of mind knowing that there's something in place to protect my homes, my goods, and my John Mayer shrine. Simply Safe systems have high-tech sensors that detect break-ins, fires, and floods, indoor and outdoor cameras to keep watch night and day, 24/7 professional monitoring at less than $1 a day. Plus, Simply Safe professional monitoring agents can even help stop crime in real time by speaking to intruders through the wireless indoor camera. Hey, hey bud, get out of here. It's like that, but it's a lot better, I imagine. And if you buy the system and you don't love it, you can get a full refund with Simply Safe's 60-day money-back guarantee. Simply Safe has given me and many of our listeners real peace of mind, and I want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off of any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com/pockets. There's no safe like Simply Safe. You might think you want real estate, but that's not true. What you really want is passive income. With new investors struggling to find deals or get enough money to buy them and veteran landlords tired of the constant tenant phone calls, is there a better alternative? Actually, there is. Short notes from Connect Invest. Connect Invest is an online investing platform that allows you to easily participate in passive real estate investing, and all you need is $500 to start. Short Notes collectively funds a diversified portfolio of commercial and residential real estate projects across acquisition, construction, and development phases. You'll learn a fixed monthly income without the hassle of owning or managing real estate. Head to connectinvest.com BP to create your account. Fund your digital wallet with at least $500. Select from 6, 12, and 24-month short notes with annualized return rates up to 9%. Then sit back and let your monthly returns roll in. Join today by visiting connectinvest.com VP. Connectinvest.com VP. We're always looking for ways to improve, searching for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for better is by matching with quality candidates. 
If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Just go to Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Need to hire? You need Indeed. These questions come direct out of the Bigger Pockets forums, which of course you can jump into anytime, day or night, 24-7, biggerpockets.com slash forums. And I know uh, like Ryan said earlier, he's over there hanging out and there's you know tens of thousands of people over there hanging out. It's amazing. Uh, and it costs a lot of money. It's a total of free. So uh, check it out, biggerpockets.com slash forums. So question number one, Ryan, do you always pull a permit even like if it's required, even on small stuff that seems ridiculous to have a permit for? Well, yes, of course I do. No, no, no. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the the big stuff now, just because it is a small town, so uh, I, I try to do everything by the book if I can help it. And it depends on exactly which town I'm working in. Some are better than others. Pretty much if I think I can you know, get away with the smallest stuff and, and no one's going to care, uh, then I won't pull a permit. But always for, you know, if I'm doing heavy electrical or, or heavy-duty plumbing, just the, the, from a liability standpoint alone, if something goes wrong, I want to be able to say, yeah, I had a licensed guy do it. Uh, here's my permit, which I think will help you a lot, you know, should something catastrophic happen and, and, and you get sued. At least you can, you know, say that you, you, you made a good effort to do it right. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. All right. So the second question here is, is it possible to get started with no money and having bad credit? And this person, a little background is they're making $12 an hour, working 60 hours a week, and they have credit in the 400. So Ouch. Can, can they get started and should they get started? Yeah. I mean, I guess anything is possible. You're not going to get a loan from a bank. So if you can find, you know, seller financing or somebody to partner with, uh, I know if I was going to partner with somebody with a 400 credit score, I'd really <laughs> want to know why they have a 400 credit score. You know, I, I guess you could luck out and, and do okay, but I would probably focus on, you know, whatever they need to do to increase that credit score and just make themselves a little more presentable before they go asking anybody for money or, or you know, any kind of creative terms. That's a great yeah, tip. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I always wonder. To me. I always wonder what if family has a bad credit score. It's not about the credit score. It's about the reason behind the credit score. Like, oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, there there are people with you know bad credit scores that have a very good story to go along with it. And you can yeah. kind of see whether you know whatever it may be a divorce or you know something. But yeah. you know, and we see it a lot with tenant screening. You're looking at these credit reports, and if it's you know unpaid utility bills, you know unpaid credit card, you know all those red flag type things. That that that's you know, that's inexcusable. So it looks like in this one, a curveball that this person's uh, family member, a parent actually uh, was a big factor in hurting their credit score. So. Oh, okay. Interesting. So maybe there is a little bit of a story there, maybe. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. I guess I'd have to hear the rest of it before yeah. I really pass judgment. Yeah. Well, I'm curious, Scott, because, you know, Scott just wrote the books set for life and it's about young people getting started in real estate. I'm wondering, Scott, I'm going to deviate from fire round etiquette here and ask your opinion, Scott, what do you think? 
Well, I, I certainly am a big fan of correcting your personal financial position before doing anything that's a major risk with your money or especially other people's money. You know, it's one thing to lose everything that I have. It's another thing to lose everything that you have if you're my investor. <laughs> and so there's actually going to be your option there. And I think that, you know, I want to see, hey, you're going to bring some skin in the game and you have a long history of operating your life responsibly. And whether it's bad luck or bad management doesn't really matter. So. All right. I like it. Yeah, that's great. All right, number three here. Would you ever rent to somebody who has a prior eviction? And if so, how long do you make them wait? No. Simple answer, no. If that's one of my automatic disqualifier, disqualifiers, if you've been evicted, end of story, I'm not renting to you. You know, when I first started, I used to say, no evictions in the past five years. And then I later on amended that to, I think, seven years. No evictions. Yeah. Nope, not anymore because out of no. the, the couple of evictions no. I have done, like the two that were from people I put in, both of them had been yeah. evicted like 10 or 15 years ago. Like yeah. it's, it's people don't change. Like, Yeah, my, my reasoning yeah. for that too is, you know, an eviction doesn't happen overnight. Somebody doesn't just flip a switch and, and you're evicted. And, oh, I didn't see it coming. No, it's such a long drawn out process that, you know, even, you know, if, if somebody, if the landlord has started an eviction process against the tenant and, and you know, if they have any kind of morals or decency, they'll they'll pack up and leave before the actual court date. If they hang on until the, until you're standing in front of the judge and you have to get the judgment against them, no way. I, I don't want you as a tenant. I don't yeah. want you. Yeah, speaking of uh, judgments, uh, this is a totally random story. But uh, so back here on the Bigger Pockets podcast, back th- maybe two or three years ago, I talked about it on an episode. Yeah, a couple of years ago, maybe people will remember. Uh, I had a contractor steal five thousand dollars. I gave him a down payment for Windows. He stole yeah. the money. Never. Yeah, uh, okay. Yeah. 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 So, uh, I get a call two days ago from a title company and we, we took him to, t- we took him to small claims court and then I gave it to my attorney yeah. and he took the judgment and went and did something with it. I didn't really know what. And anyway, I get a call from yeah. a title company. This guy is trying to sell his house and the title company won't let him close till he pays me oh, off. So I'm getting a, a I, I'm getting a full check from, uh, supposedly today or maybe early next week. Wow. Good uh, for you. I know I was, I was ecstatic. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, anyway. That's, that's, yeah, excellent. Yeah, excellent. there's a lesson like it does I mean, like it does help to have you, you know, if you get stolen. First of all, don't give a five thousand dollar down payment to a guy you met on Craigslist, lesson one. Nope. But nope. you know, it the system does work sometimes. So everyone every once in a every while. Once in a every while. once in a while. Yeah. So it was a you. good day for me. Anyway, all right, number four. Yes, that's awesome. The last yeah. question here is are applications fees worth it? And the question here I think that they're asking is, should I pay the application fee or should my tenant who's applying, the tenant applicant, pay the application fee? And what's the trade off there? Uh, I think that is extremely dependent on your market. In my market, we don't do application fees at all. And I don't know any of our competitors that do just because I think if you started charging them, people would just not apply. What we try and do is we'll have a tenant fill out an application and we'll we'll look at it and review it and ask questions. If we like what we see on the application and the tenant wants the, the unit, uh, we'll actually have them put down the security deposit or, or first month's rent to, to hold the unit. And what we tell them is there's a couple ways to do it. I, what I used to do is say, I'm going to run a formal application process with you. I'm going to do the credit check and the, and the criminal history check and all that good stuff. Uh, if for some reason it's denied, I will give you your security deposit back or your deposit back minus the $25 that it cost me to, to run the background check. I even did away with that now and I'm just refunding their money I- I entirely if I deny them. Uh, if for some reason they change their mind, no, I've already got your money. I've, I've turned other people away at this point. I've stopped advertising the unit. But if if I deny them, I'll, I'll give them uh, their money back. And you know, and we we try to you know limit the number of applications that we actually run through that formal process. And that's why we ask for some monetary deposit from the tenant to make sure that they're serious. I mean, if you were just if you were running every single application you got 
you know, through, you know, our, our channels and, and do the credit check, you'd just be racking up costs all over the place and, and it wouldn't make sense. Yeah, I like that a lot. So let me ask you a question. This is not really a fire round question, but I'm going to pretend that I asked it in the forums and now I'm asking you, uh, yeah. what do you do when a tenant applies to your place and they pay the down payment, I mean, the deposit, the security deposit, yeah. and then they back out for some, you know, some, I mean, it doesn't happen very often, but occasion does. Yeah. How, yeah. how tight are you on that? How tough is you and your company on that? Do you keep the whole yeah. 500 bucks or whatever? Yeah, it really depends on the situation. Our policy is we keep the money. Yep. Uh, are there times and we have bent on that just to avoid the fight, uh, you know, especially if we had somebody else lined up or, you know, maybe it wasn't a long period of time where it really becomes an issue is, you know, if, if we've held their money and we have stopped advertising and, you know, let's say three weeks have passed and, we, yep. you know, we've turned other people away we're going to keep your money because you, you put us out that far. But if it's, you know, it's a very real short period of time and we think it's going to be you know, a, a real easy one to rent to somebody else, you know, th- there's some flexibility there. Yeah. I think that's cool. Yeah. I think it's only happened to me a couple of times, but, um, yeah, it's rare. Yeah, it's rare. It, it, it's yeah. rare. And, and we're very upfront when we take their money. We actually make them sign a, a nice. document saying you're putting money down. You've got, yep. I think we give them 24, 24 hours to change their mind penalty free beyond that. You're losing this money. That's great. That's great. If you change it. Awesome. Cool. I think that it's time for our uh, famous four. All right. uh, The famous four. These questions are the same four questions we ask every guest every week. Ryan, you've had several years to prepare for this or at least a year or whatever you've been (laughs) around BP for. And you've heard this hundreds of times. What is your favorite real estate related book? I'm not much of a book reader. Uh, I used to be until I got a thing called a smartphone. Now all my downtime <laughs> is spent reading short, stupid articles instead yep. of books. Um, <laughs> except and, for Scott's articles. Those are the good ones. <laughs> yeah, except for, except for those ones. You know, so I, I haven't I haven't read a lot of real estate books. I mean, early on, I think I man- uh, mentioned property management for dummies and that yep. stuff like 10 years ago, which if I read now, I'd probably be horrified. It's outdated information. Uh, but I, ha- I have read a few books since uh, just listening to the podcast and getting recommendations. So, uh, you know, E-Myth and the one thing I got those on uh, the, the audio books and, you know, but, but even so I, I would much rather listen to a podcast and listen to uh, conversations with, with you guys and, and whatever, whatever your guest is than to, I don't know. I just don't do well listening to somebody, you know, recite a book, even, even on the audio book, I tend to just zone out and I end up going somewhere else mentally, you know, it's good information, but I think, you know, the actual stories from, you know, people that have lived it and done it and have actionable uh, examples, either good or bad. I mean, that, that to me is absolute gold. Yeah, I agree. I like it. I think that makes sense. Once you get past a certain point and have a certain amount of knowledge, you're really more interested in the specific nuances and ways people that you're working with that, that are doing the same sorts of things that you are yes. think. Yes. And I think that that makes perfect sense to me. Yes. Extremely so we'll, motivating. So we'll skip question two then and move right on yeah. to uh, number three. What are your hobbies? What do you do for fun? Hobbies. I like to exercise. I try to go to the gym a couple times a week. You know, this time of year in Maine, it's absolutely beautiful. So I've been trying to spend as much time outside as I can. I live on the lake. So we're trying to spend time on the water. Uh, summer's about three months and then it barrels right back into uh, seven or eight months of, of cold, <laughs> horrible winter. I'm a big Pats fan. Go Pats. Uh, Brandon, you a Seahawks fan? I am a Seahawks fan. All right. Yeah. I think that, I think the Patriots played the Seahawks a couple of years ago, I think, in a, in a, in a bigger game. We're not going to, yeah. we're, we're just yeah, going yeah, 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 to yeah, talk yeah, about. Yeah, question number four. Yeah. Different coaching. <laughs> <laughs> All right, number number four. What do you believe sets apart successful real estate investors from those who give up, fail, or never get started? For me, it's it's persistence, absolutely persistence, and that has to compensate for your what will likely be extreme inefficiency when you start. 
Uh, you will get kicked in the face. You will fall over. You'll trip over your own two feet. You got to keep getting back up and just just keep grinding it out. I mean, you just got to keep at it. And you know, the, the more you do it, the longer you do it, the the more efficient that you'll get. But it, it, it's not easy. I mean, whoever whoever coined the term uh, passive income never had rental properties <laughs> cl- clearly because yep. it's 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 anything but passive. You just got to keep yep. grinding it it's out. Pa- passive do. Passive-ish. I usually use passive with like the quotation mark, you know, next to my head. Yeah. Yeah. Passive after a ton of work and a lot of gray hairs. Yes. I like semi-passive. Semi-passive. There you go. All right. Last question here. Where can people find out more about you? Well, uh, a couple of places. The management company that I work for is Maine Real Estate Management. And you can find me there at leasebangor.com. It's L-E-A-S-E, Bangor, B-A-N-G-O-R.com. Uh, I'm a real estate broker with Realty of Maine, so realtyofmaine.com. And uh, probably the quickest, easiest way is just on, on bigger pockets. Uh, shoot me a message or uh, tag me in a post and I'm, I'll come crawling in. But uh, yeah, happy to talk to anybody anytime. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Ryan. This has been fantastic. Lots of good information for people, both getting started and people you know, been in the game for a while. So really appreciate it. Awesome, guys. It was a blast. Thank you so much. Right, yeah, thank this is you. great. Thanks. Wow, that was awesome. Uh, Ryan has been through it all. He's started with a house hack back in 2007 or 2008 and has built that out to hundreds of units under management, yeah. uh, quit his job and then retook another job with a bigger company for property management and now has dozens of units. Um, yeah. Fantastic story, ups, downs, highs, lows. That was a great podcast. It was. I, I thought so too. And I like that perspective that we talk about because like about getting the job again, right? Because so many people look at, like you mentioned in the show, people look at real estate as like, I can't wait to quit my job and get out. But you know, some people get back in. In fact, I mean, right, I've done it, right? So I, I was retired at 27. I was like, I'm never doing a bit of work ever again. I laid on the couch for like a few months and I was so bored out of my mind. I'm like, okay, now I got to write some articles or something. And that's how me being here at Bigger Pockets came about because- like there's, I guess it's, it's a different perspective than just, I'm going to go sit on the couch or on a beach my whole life. Yeah. There definitely seems to be a, uh, a perspective where if, Hey, if you have the drive and hustle to retire yeah. well before 60 from wage paying yeah. work, you know, you're probably too motivated to kind of sit there and relax yep. on the beach for too long, you know, maybe, maybe a couple months of the year, but it's, yep. it is great to be able to do that on your own terms. Yep. And that's, that's what it's all about. Right. So like what Ryan said there was he doesn't have to necessarily work. He can go and just manage his properties, take care of it and have, you know, passive ish income uh, from his mm-hmm. rentals, but he chooses to do it. Uh, semi-passive, income. semi-passive income. And uh, you know, he, he, <laughs> he, I don't know, that's financial freedom, right? He can do that because he wants to do it. Not because he has to, it's his choice. It's his freedom. And that's what I know uh, all the listeners right now. Are, are aiming for. So good luck, guys. You can do it. I believe in you. Absolutely. And real estate's proven time and again to be a really efficient way to do that. So. That, that it has. That it has. Well, uh, Scott, how you doing, man? It's been a while since you've been a guest here, like a couple months, I think. Or a host yeah, it might have been, a, might have been an, uh, um, a month or two. So, yeah. but it's, it's good to be back. You know, I, I'm feeling at home here. I get to rock my uh, uh, Arrested <laughs> Development t-shirt with the banana stand. The banana stand. So, yeah, there's always money in the banana stand. Yeah. There is always money in the banana stand. Do not burn down the <laughs> Do banana not stand. burn down. Uh, how many of you guys out there have seen Arrested Development? Anybody raise your hand? Just kidding. I can't see you, but if oh, you're wow, in your car good, right now. A good chunk of them, huh? <laughs> yeah, oh, look yeah. at that guy over there. He should put on a shirt. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, it's one of my favorite shows of all time. Arrest Development. Fantastic. So good job on the shirt. I wouldn't mind having a shirt like that. I'm very jealous. In fact, I might just come take yours. Awesome. Well, it's $12 a target. All right. I'll work on that. All right. Well, let's get out of here, Scott Trench. Thank you for being an awesome guest host today. And I think Josh is going to be back next week. And uh, make sure you guys stick around for next week's show. The next two weeks, uh, we've recorded them already. They're fantastic. You guys will love them. So stick uh, Stay tuned for that and let's get out of here.
from the Bigger Pockets podcast. This is Scott Trench signing off. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. It's time for it's time for it's time for the random five. All right, and it's time for the random six now. I guess we're changing it from five to six, and uh, we're gonna throw a uh, throw a couple at you here. These are just completely random questions we like to throw here. There's a random at. change there. I know it was a very random change. Or the random five-ish six. If you could move anywhere in the world, you ha- you could not live in your area anymore. Where would you move, and why? Uh, I spent some time in Singapore a while back. I absolutely love that country. Uh, it's clean. It's beautiful. It's kind of Asia light. Uh, I live in different parts of Asia. Love Singapore, and it would, it's just a quick jump to anywhere else in Asia. So, uh, all things being equal, if I was financially stable, I would probably probably uh, move to Singapore. All right. All right. So, so twist on that question is what fictional place would you most like to visit if you could oh, oh see this is the one that uh <laughs> fictional place yeah i don't know guys i'm gonna struggle with this bad that's uh, all right you remember tomorrow you let us know we'll, yeah uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll email you a great answer tomorrow we'll put it in the show notes yeah okay scott trench we're gonna make you answer the question then what fictional place would you most want to go oh man that's a tough question I'll, I'll admit it. I'm a pretty big Harry Potter nerd, so I'd want to go to the uh, wonderful magical land that J.K. Rowling created. Nice. So probably Hogwarts or something like that. I would go so to nice. Narnia. I'm a big uh, C.S. Lewis, you know, Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe fan. So I'm going to Narnia. All right. Send me a postcard. I will. All right. Uh, next question. I like this one. If you didn't have to sleep, what would you do with your extra time? Probably analyze more deals. Nice. <laughs> Keeps me keeps me up enough as it is. So yeah, if I didn't sleep at all, I could just uh, look at deals online all night and uh, just just keep crunching numbers. All right, this is this is a great question. If you could turn any activity into an Olympic sport and have a good shot at winning a medal, what activity would that be? <laughs> evictions, evictions. I take the gold medal, hands down. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. All right, uh, my last question: uh, What movie can you watch over and over and not, not never get tired of it? The Departed, my absolute favorite movie of all time. Great movie. I've watched it. Uh, and, and I'm not, I don't typically watch movies more than once. I just, I'm, I don't like it. But The Departed, I've watched that a hundred times and, and we'll watch it a hundred more and it's still a great flick. Nice. Scott Trench, you answer that question too. I'm curious. Um, hmm. I can watch Shrek over and over and over again without getting tired of it. There's so many great puns in that movie. That is so, an amazing movie. Family friendly. No, no, nothing. Yep. You know. There's a, scene scary. In, there's a scene in Shrek where the guy's running with the big, huge head, running through the, 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 the line like to get into the, the city at the end. Anyway, for some reason, I think that's one of the funniest moments of any history in mankind. Like I laugh every time I see that hysterically. And he just walks it, through all the ribs. Yeah, yeah. I love that scene. It's amazing. Anyway. Never seen it. I guess I'll have to go dig it up now. Yeah, yes. check it out. Yep. All right, Scott, last, last question. Last question here. If you could have anyone narrate your life, who would you choose to, ha- to be the narrator? narrate my life <laughs> you said these are going to be easy questions I know. <laughs> the other uh, one's too easy was cheddar or swiss was the other question <laughs> that is a yeah question. uh yeah i i i probably have to say my wife all right because uh, she, yeah. she knows the story better than anyone and uh yeah it would be my wife that's a good answer good answer awesome. yeah. all right well thanks ryan
Absolutely, guys. Thanks so much. There's a reason small multifamily investing is so popular in the Bigger Pockets community. With just a 3.5% down payment, you can own up to four different units. Think about it. If you house hack and live in one of the units, you still have three different groups of tenants helping you pay down your mortgage every month, four kitchens and bathrooms you could renovate to increase your property value, four different Airbnbs, medium-term rentals, or other rental strategies that you can try in one property, all in just one transaction. Of course, the question is, where do you find a small multifamily property that you can actually afford? Which market and which deals are best for you? Once you close, how do you manage it, optimize it, keep scaling, and living your life without being tied down to four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants? All great questions, my friends. All to be answered in the upcoming Small Multifamily Bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leica Devatha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient strategy, head to biggerpockets.com slash four, F-O-U-R. Today, and join us in the Small Multifamily Bootcamp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.